0: And what a thought that one day, I think one day very soon, all of this is going to be past. The hurt, the heartache, the pain, the grief, the strife, it's going to be gone. And we'll get to spend eternity in heaven with God, all because of an empty tomb. You know, oftentimes we think about a graveyard, we think about a tomb, and we think about grave and headstones, and it's something sad. We've had several folks go home to be with the Lord just this past week in our church and within the sphere of our families, of our church, and even funerals this week. And oftentimes you don't think of a graveyard or a tomb or a tombstone as something that would bring rejoicing, but aren't you glad there is one tomb that when you pass by it, you can't help but smile because the tomb is empty because Jesus is alive. And we stand here today serving a risen Savior. We're not singing about something this morning just because we like the songs. We're singing about something that's real. And it's real to me because he died for me. And heaven's my home and my name is written down. And look, if you're not saved this morning, I want to encourage you, there's no better day to get saved than today. Because today we celebrate the empty tomb of our Savior. And I know the hour is is getting a little bit late and you're thinking, well, he's going to preach a long time this morning. Uh, But I'll tell you, most of the message has already been preached. They've already sung about it. It's very clear, and they probably sang about it better than I could preach about it. But this morning, I want us to take our Bibles for a few minutes and go to the book of Romans, not necessarily a traditional Easter passage. Romans chapter 8, and I want you to stand when you get there, if you don't mind, and honor the reading of God's word. And let's go down to verse number 11. I'll read a small passage, and then we'll pray and let you be seated. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for coming. It's a special day here at our church, and it's always extra special when you folks choose to come visit with us, and it's a blessing to have you here. Thank you for coming. I hope our folks have made you feel welcome, and I hope you're welcome to come back. You feel welcome to come back anytime. Romans chapter 8, if you would look down to verse 11, Brother John LaPone asked me uh, Friday night, are we going traditional or non-traditional? I said, well, it'll be mostly traditional, uh, but maybe out of a non-traditional passage. Romans chapter 8, verse number 11. The Bible says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Let's pray together. Father, my heart is full. It's overflowing. Uh, The music, Lord, was wonderful. Thank you for the choir and their hard work and our young people. Uh, But Father, thank you more for the truth about they sung this morning. Lord, it was a truth that was paid for. Lord, through the sacrificial death of your son, thank you for sending him. Lord, I can't imagine watching your only son die and to die for the sins of others, not his own. But, Lord, thank you that he was willing that we could be saved. Thank you for the empty tomb. For, Father, the death would have been in vain if he had not risen. And thank you that the tomb is empty. And Jesus, Lord, has, li- does live, and he's with you. And, Father, I pray that everyone here today knows for sure that, Lord, when their time is over in this life, they're coming to live with you. But if not today, I pray that you'd help them know that. Encourage the saved today through your word in the empty tomb as well. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the mid-1800s, there was a man by the name of Simon Greenleaf. He was a professor of law at Harvard University. As a matter of fact, during that time, he was one of the most renowned and considered by many to be the greatest political mind of that time. He knew law. He knew it very well and could argue it and could explain it and could interpret it very well. As he taught law at Harvard, he had a rule for all of his students, and I quote, never make up your mind about a significant matter without first considering the evidence. I think, by the way, I think it's a good rule for all of us to have, amen. The story goes that he was sitting in class one day teaching his young people at Harvard and the discussion came up about the resurrection of Jesus and whether or not it was true or just a biblical fairy tale. The story goes on to say that he quickly answered his students and says, I believe it's an interesting story and maybe an exciting story and something that's uh, exciting to think about, but I, I don't believe that it happened. One of his students very wisely spoke up and says, Professor Greenleaf, have you considered the evidence before you've concluded the matter of whether or not Jesus has risen from the grave? He realized at that moment that he had developed an opinion about the resurrection, not based on the evidence of it, but he had developed an opinion based on his ideas and uh, his intellectualism. So Simon Greedleaf set out to compile as much evidence as possible as to whether or not the resurrection of Christ had really happened and if there was evidence to prove that Jesus had risen from the grave. He came back later and presented to his fellow professors what he had written in his book, The Testimony of the Evangelist. He said this in his book, According to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than just about any other event in the history of mankind. He took the time to consider the evidence that was there and what became what was at first a myth to him, suddenly became a reality to him. And the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ would go on to change the life of Simon Greenleaf. He wrote about it in his book. I've been reading through it this past week. Realizing that there was a risen Savior, realizing that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, ultimately would go on to change his life. And here was the question I was left with as I read his book. Has the power of the resurrection diminished since the day that Jesus rose forth from the grave? Has the power of the resurrection, by the way, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul that walked with the Lord Jesus Christ, he says this, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection of Christ, but here's what I'm confused about today. So many of us in this room, I'm one of them, I lay claim to the fact that I am born again. I'm a child of God. I've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. But how often does the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ make very little difference in our life? The fact that the tomb is indeed empty, look, it's not a fairy tale. It's a reality. Jesus rose from the grave. He's no longer there. Life won. Jesus lives and now we can live as well. But what I wonder this morning is why so many of us understand that and yet are unchanged. Here's what I believe this morning. I believe we remember the resurrection. We rejoice in the resurrection. We read about the resurrection. But here's what I wonder this morning. Do we really realize the resurrection? Do we realize just what the resurrection of Christ means to all mankind? I'm not just talking about, listen, those of us that are saved because at one point you were lost And it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that pulled it all together that we could be saved and have a home in heaven. This morning I want to preach on a very simple subject on realizing the resurrection. I'm afraid this morning we don't realize it. We can explain it, and it's been explained to us, but I wonder, do we really realize what the resurrection is all about? I was in Florida for about a week, nine days there on vacation celebrating my daughter's 16th birthday. And on the way home, we stopped at one of the seven wonders of the South. Not of the world, but one of the seven wonders of the South. You say, What is that? Well, it's a gas station called Bucky's. Have you ever been? Amen, amen. If you've never been to Bucky's, you need to check that off of your southern bucket list, okay? It's not like the pyramids or the hanging gardens, but it is one of the seven wonders of the South. And I had someone years ago ask me, Have you ever been to Bucky's? And I said, No. What is Bucky's? They said, Well, Bucky's is a gas station, and you just got to go to this gas station called Bucky's. And I'm thinking, It's a gas station. You know, I've been to a lot of them. You know, I get around, I drive a lot. And they said, But this is unlike any gas station you've ever been to. I said, Look, it's a gas station, right? They always bragged about the bathrooms, which I thought was kind of weird. You know, it's not often that that's the high point. I said, If the bathrooms are the high point, I don't know if I want to go. You know, I'm I'm interested in the snacks. What kind of snacks do they have? And they said they have this long case full of beef jerky. I like beef jerky. Alligator beef jerky and ostrich beef jerky and elk beef jerky. And I'm like, gosh, I I might have to go to this place. And I said, well, what else do they have? And they said, they have a coffee island with all the creamers and stuff. And I love coffee. After a while, they explained it to me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to check this out anytime I'm near a Bucky's, I hear Mississippi's getting one. Amen. It's about time. I was going through Texas. I forget what part of Texas, and I saw the—it's like a bat signal in the sky. It's a yellow sign with a beaver on it. It's like that's Bucky's. And I told my wife, "This is it. We've reached the promised land of Bucky's." And so we pulled in, and sure enough, there was probably a hundred gas pumps that were there. Boy, I went inside and it was like a mixture of a Walmart and a gas station and a Starbucks and it, all in one. I mean, Bucky's is the only gas station that I go to knowing I'm going to spend $50 on top of what I spend on fuel. Can I tell you, when I went to Bucky's, it had been explained to me and I thought I understood it. But explaining it and experiencing it are two so- totally different things. Can I tell you, I, I think we've had the resurrection explained to us, but I wonder how many of us, even those that are saved, have really experienced all that the resurrection has to offer us. The Bible says in Acts 23, there's a group of people called the Sadducees. The Bible says in Acts chapter 23, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Hence the name Sadducee. That's why you're Sadducee. You Because you don't understand the resurrection. Do you know there's a lot of Christians this morning living a sad Christian life? A lot of Christians, you're born again and you're saved, but you're living a sad, you see, Christian life. Why? Because I don't know that you understand the resurrection like we ought to understand the resurrection. There's a lot of sad Christian homes out there, a lot of sad Christian marriages, a lot of sad Christian teenagers. Why? Because I don't know that we understand exactly what the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. If you'll give me a few minutes. Now look, we've got an egg hunt right after the service, okay? Okay. I've got to hurry so all that candy doesn't melt out there in those eggs. Okay, so I've got to hurry. But look, I don't think we ought to rush through the resurrection, do you? If this is life-changing, it was to Simon Greenleaf, changed his life when he realized the reality of the resurrection. This morning, I want to show you three things about the reality of the resurrection. I'll hurry, beginning in verse number 11. Let's look at it if we could. The Bible says in verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also, what's that word, quicken, the Bible says. He shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Now, we don't use that word quicken very often. It doesn't mean to move faster, okay? (laughs) I think some of us need to be quickened, you know? Uh, Some of us need to be quickened to move a little quicker. Some of us need to be quickened uh, to get about the business we have, but that's not the quicken we're talking about. The word quickened in the Bible means to be made alive or to give life. Now, what is he saying in verse number 11? Well, the resurrection is when God restored life to the lifeless body of Christ. But I want you to see a very important word in verse number 11. Watch what it says. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall, I want to say the word together. What's that next word after shall also? What does that mean? That means that what he did for Jesus was not just for Jesus, that what he was doing for Jesus is for you and for I, what's the word, also. That means what God was willing to do for Jesus, he's willing to do for us also. What did he do for Jesus? Well, notice the first thing you need to realize about the resurrection this morning. Number one, let's realize there's life from the Father. The resurrection, the empty tomb, means that there is life for us also, just like there was life for the Lord Jesus. Now, I want you to picture this in your mind, if you could. In that tomb lay the bruised and beaten body of our Lord and Savior. One day, two days, three days. It sits there lifeless. He died, we know, because that's what the Bible tells us. He had to die for our sins. Sin always brings death. It was either you or him, and he did it for you and I. And the Bible says that suddenly, in verse number 11, the spirit of the Father suddenly raised him up and brought life to that lifeless body again. Now, can I tell you what he did for Christ, verses 11 says, that he wants to do for you also? Understand, the reality of the empty tomb this morning simply means that he didn't just raise Jesus up and that was the end of the story. Oh, no, because Jesus rose from the grave and the Father quickened him, his desire is that he quicken you as well. I'm so glad this morning to be able to tell you that what they sang about was on a fairy tale. Have you ever sang about some fairy tales? I have. Come on. At some point, you were young and innocent and had an imagination, and you'd sing songs about things that weren't real, and you enjoyed them, but you knew they weren't real. I mean, some of you believe in things to this day uh, that are not real, Bigfoots and aliens. I know who you are. Can I tell you the truth and the reality of the empty tomb this morning Oh, it's the fact that it means there is life now available also for you and I from the Father. Now, if you look close at the empty tomb, I want you to try to think about something. Here's Jesus laying lifeless. His body is dead. He is bruised. He is beaten. He is battered. He's not broken. Thank God for that. He's in the tomb. And suddenly, through the spirit of the Father, life is breathed into him again. Now, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me back in Genesis. The Bible says that he created Adam, and Adam was formed out of what? The dust of the ground. So there is this form, this body, but he is just a clump of dust at the moment. And then what happened? What happened? The Bible says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Aren't you glad this morning that the God that we serve is a life-giving God? Watch, he breathed life into man, but what did men do? Man sinned. What did he tell him in Genesis? Genesis 2:17, "But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest of it, therefore thereof thou shalt surely die." So God gave him life. man sin, sin always brings death and destruction and heartache and grief. So now in order for man to live again, God's going to have to breathe life into him one more time. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. Why? Because we were dead men walking. Adam didn't realize it, but his life was now numbered because of his sin. And so Jesus carried the dead of his sin all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave. And when the Father raised him up, that means there's now life from the Father available for you and I. Oh, this morning, can I tell you something? You haven't lived until you've lived the life from the Father. I don't care what you've done. You may have bungee jumped and skydived and and ride fast cars. and I don't know what you do for fun. There's no life like the life from the Father. Could I encourage you this morning? Would you understand the reality of the resurrection is there is life from the Father. Now, I want you to look down real quick and see something. The Bible says in verse 11, he shall do that for us also. But how did he do that? How did he raise him up? The Bible says, but if the spirit of him. That raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell in you. You see, life from the Father is through his Spirit and comes with his Spirit. This is important to understand today. You say, well, how did he raise them up? The Bible says it was the Spirit of the Father that raised him up. Can I tell you something this morning? There is no life outside the life of the Spirit of God. If you don't have the Spirit, the Bible goes on to say you are none of his. You may have lived a lot of life. And done a lot of things. And enjoyed a lot of things. But the Bible, go, look what it says. Look down, if you will. Verse number 9, look what it says. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You see, the life the Father gets comes with his spirit. I'll tell you what I'm afraid of today. I really am. I'm afraid. A matter of fact, the longer that I preach... You look out in church and you spend time around Christians. I'm afraid we have churches, good churches, full of good people. But I wonder if they've truly been born again. Because it's hard to see the evidence of the Spirit of God in their life. You can't separate being born again from the Spirit of God. The Bible says that if we don't have the Spirit of God, we are none of His. While we were down in Florida, I saw a robot that was there. Of Abraham Lincoln. It was a robot built to look just like Abraham Lincoln. I'm talking about wrinkles, even down to eyebrows. I think there was even nose hairs. I mean, it was that real. I'm sitting there looking at it, and he's moving his mouth, and I'm like, whoa, that seems real. But you see, it was only lifelike. Why? Because inside that robot, it was just gears, and it was just programmed, but there was no life there. Why? There's no spirit there. It's just been programmed to go through the motions. Do you see where I'm going with this? This morning, if we have truly been born again, the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. And the Bible says there are fruits of the Spirit. And if I never had any of the fruits of the Spirit in my life, I would seriously question whether or not I got what I thought I got. Because the life from the Father, what does it say? You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. You see, when we're born again, we receive the gift of the spirit God, can I tell you something this morning? I'm thankful the tomb was empty because it was empty. I can also have life of the Father. Do you understand that reality this morning? Before I give you the second, let me tell you an interesting story about Winston Churchill. I love reading about him. I have a picture of him in my office, as a matter of fact. It is said that before Winston Churchill died, he became a follower of Christ and gave his life to Christ. Knowing that he was drawing near the end of his life, he decided to write his own funeral order of service. By the way, I've already written mine as well. And those of you that carry my casket, get ready. You're going to be wearing Crocs. That's on my list. I've even got some of you people singing specials. Look, it's my last will. Do that for me, okay? And so I've already told my wife. My wife says, I'm not dying. Well, I hope not. But some of you in here can be mean sometimes. And so I don't know. That may happen sooner than later. Winston Churchill began writing out what he wanted at his funeral. Obviously, he was a military man. At the close of the benediction at his funeral, someone on the left side of St. Paul's Cathedral began to play taps. Those in the military know well, taps always signals the end of the day. A few moments later, there was a pause after taps was played. And on the right side of St. Paul's Cathedral, someone began playing with their trumpet, Reveille. You know what revelry means? It means a new day has dawned. A new day is beginning. What Winston Churchill was signaling was the fact that although one day was closing in this life, a new day was dawning in another life. Can I tell you how Winston Churchill got to heaven? Watch this, even though he was famous and somebody everybody knows and I'm not famous and nobody knows me, can I tell you, he got in the same way that I did by realizing there was an empty tomb and because there was an empty tomb, Christ was given life and I can have life also, also. Number one, we need to realize there's life from the Father, but let's keep reading, okay? We're going to hurry. The eggs are waiting, and you're thinking of how you're going to get more than the other guy. I get it. I get it. I, look, there's no participation trophies out there. Throw elbows. Do what you got to do to get the eggs. Amen? Verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead. Now, I want you to see another word. First, we looked at quicken. Now, look at this next word, if you will. It's the word Dwell. But the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now watch this. The tomb was empty. Life was given of the Father. He gives us his Spirit. That's the signifier. But wait a minute. Notice, if you will, the Spirit isn't just making an appearance in our life. The Spirit has taken up residence in our life. The second reality of the empty tomb, I want you to see this. Number one, the reality is there's life from the Father. Number two, realize it's life that lasts forever. The Bible says the Spirit dwelleth in you. When I got saved, can I tell you what happened? The Spirit did not rent a place in my heart. Have you ever rented a house? I rented a house. I rented a house. I rented a trailer. Remember the crack house I told you about the other day that I lived in? I rented that. Yeah, I pay rent to live in a crack house, you know, just weird kind of stuff that has to happen in ministry sometimes. Ministry, mean, uh, renting means I, I'm going to occupy it for a little while, but it's not mine. I'm going to move out sooner or later, and sooner or later I, I did move out. The Holy Spirit, when you got saved and you received the life from the Father, I want you to notice he wasn't renting a place in your heart. He was residing in a place in your heart. When the Holy Spirit of God moved in there, he didn't move in there and says, I'm going to try this out. And if I don't like it, I'm moving on to somebody else. Can I tell you, if he could move out because he didn't like it, he'd have moved out on day one. The people that are amening know themselves. The people that are not amening, you don't know yourself well enough. Look, it's hard for your spouse to live with you sometimes. It's hard for you to live with your children sometimes. How do you think a Holy Spirit wants to live in your life? He doesn't want to be there all the time either. I'm glad he does. But boy, if, look, if we could have lived a life in a way that he would have moved out, he'd have moved out a long time ago. But notice the Bible in one verse uses the same word twice, dwell and dwelleth. I think about our missionary I was talking to the other night. Uh, He was here on Wednesday night. I watched the live stream, and he came and met with me on Thursday, got to meet with them. And he was talking about the the place they've been using uh, and renting and how they're going to have to move out because the cost is going up. They're going to have to buy the building that is there. And I'm so thankful today there's never going to arise a situation where the Holy Spirit's going to have to move out of my heart. I promised you he'd have packed his bags and moved out a long time ago. I got saved as a kid. I hadn't done a whole lot of bad things as a kid. I've done a lot of worse things since I got saved. I've given him so many reasons to move out. I've given him so many reasons to give up and to move on. But the Bible says, thank God to the word of God. John 3, 16, they just sang about it a moment ago. The Bible says, I have everlasting life. That means it lasts forever forever. Ain't that what it means? Everlasting life. Um, Romans 6.23, the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life. What does that mean? He's not moving out. Not only do I have life from the Father, I have life that's forever. I'm so thankful this morning to know that some of you might get mad at me for preaching long. I know that it happens. You might get mad at me for some other reason and decide, you know what? It's time that we take that guy out. I hope that never happens, okay? I hope you get saved before that, but if it does... Guess what? I'm going to live forever because there was an empty tomb. That empty tomb gave me life also. And that life, watch, comes with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says it's eternal and it's everlasting. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand on this, okay, because you could get in trouble. I don't want to get you in trouble on a Sunday. Have you ever had a house guest that maybe overstayed their welcome? Don't shake your head. Don't raise your hand because your spouse is going to think about you're talking about their mother. Okay? I saw you nodding in church. You were thinking about, do not judge what they were thinking. Okay? You can't judge them. But the in fact, I love my mother in law. She's one of my best friends in the whole wide world. Or maybe you have been the guest that stayed too long. I don't know. You're like, guilty, guilty. It meant at first it was just great and you're like, this is awesome having you in the house and spending time together. And after a while you're like, withdraw thy foot. That's scriptural, brother. We can't be around each other too long. Why? What is going to kill the other. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit doesn't feel like that? Because he would have withdrawn his foot already. I've given him so many reasons, but the Bible says that that spirit is there and he's dwelling with me. Now I want you to watch something in verse 11. It's beautiful. If the spirit of him, see that if is a decision you get to make. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I'm thankful today to be able to say that. Now, I want to show you something. The Bible says in verse number 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again. So wait a minute, that Holy Spirit of God, it seals us unto the day of redemption. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit after we get saved, and he's not going to move out. But wait a minute, the Bible says there's something else that comes along with that. For if you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now don't miss this, okay? When I got saved, God became my father. You know how I know that the life from him is forever? Because he became my father. And no matter what I do, now don't get me wrong, he doesn't want me to do wrong, and he will spank me when I do because he chastens every son that he loves. I will always be his son. It's forever. Now, some of you in here, you have kids. And there are times you probably don't want to be their parent. Maybe it's in Walmart, they want something, and you've told them no, and they're about to embarrass you from the entire world. I just had an amen, right? Here we go, right there. Courage, man. I appreciate folks who are honest. Amen, that's right. And you either want to beat them with an half inch of their life. I saw one at Dollar General last night. I mean, it was give me the toy or you're going to pay the price. Ultimately, they gave them the toy. I wanted to say, you know why they keep doing that? Because it works. But that's a separate message for a separate day. No matter what I do, that life is forever because he's my father, and I can never not be his son. My daughter, every once in a while, she'll show the fact that she's related to me and do something unpleasing to her dad. She's a human. Humans do that. No matter what she does, no matter where she goes, no matter how far away from what we taught her to do she goes, she will always be my daughter. Nothing she can do. You got my jeans in your veins. <laughs> that goofy guy you saw on vacation last week, it's in there. And one day it's coming out. I'm 43. I'm getting to the place where I don't mind. I look, before long, fanny pack, socks and sandals. I don't know. I just, I'm starting to feel like I don't mind that anymore. And she's like, oh, dad, that's in you. It's in you. Those jeans are in there. She can never get that out of there. Hey, watch this. As a child of God, I cry, Abba, Father. That means I have life forever. I'll never not be his son. That's what the empty tomb is all about. I was receiving life from my father. The Bible says in adoption, I was adopted into the family of God, and I will always be his son. Now, I want to give you some encouragement before I give you the last point. I want to show you that eternal life and the life we get from the Father actually will help you live the Christian life. Look down to verse 18. The Bible says, for I reckon, that's how you know Paul is from the south. Some of you will get that on the way home. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us I tell you something? The empty tomb is not just for lost people to get saved. It's for saved people to know, you know what? This life ain't it. It's going to be a short one. And we may have difficult days and bad days and days we don't want to face problems anymore. But can I tell you, because of the empty tomb, watch this. This is not it. I'm going to go on to an eternal life one day where all of this is past. They just sing about it. One day. So, you know, uh, coming home from vacation, knowing you have a a laundry list waiting on you, not the most exciting thing in the world. Get home and think, oh, I wish I could have just stayed on vacation. No, you know, this is part of it. There's difficult days ahead. But you know what? There's better days ahead after that. Why? The tomb was empty. Number one, you need to realize there's life from the Father. If you're here today and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, could I beg you, receive that life today. Oh, the Spirit of God, what a blessing it is in the life of the believer. Number two, you need to realize the empty tomb means life lasts forever. And then finally, this is my favorite part. Notice there's something else we find in Christ. Verse number 12, therefore... All right, so we've read verse 11, we have the Spirit of God, we're the child of God, and we'll never lose that. All right, since that, the Bible says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the the body, ye shall live You know what's wonderful? Not only does the empty tomb give us the reality of life from the Father and life that's forever. Notice the Bible says because of the empty tomb, Jesus overcame death, hell, sin, and the grave. Now the Bible says, number three, we need to realize it's life that brings freedom. Because there was an empty tomb, watch, I'm no longer a debtor to sin. That means after I get saved, watch this, after I get saved, I still live in this stuff that I don't like. This stuff still wants things it doesn't need. It wants things that God doesn't like, and it's drawn to those things. Now, do you know before I got saved, I was a debtor to the flesh? That means what the flesh wanted. We were driven by the lust and the desires of the flesh. But now watch, because the tomb is empty, sin no longer has dominion over me. I have freedom to it. I'm no longer a debtor to it. Some of you this morning, maybe like most Americans, you have credit card debt, okay? That's a scary thing. Try to get rid of it as soon as possible. Amen, you just every time that, every time that thing comes in the mail, you pull it out of the mailbox and you want to put it right back in, don't you? It'd be great if you could just flip that flag up and they would take it back with them, wouldn't it? I'm not even going to open it this time. I'm just going to put the, the, the Chase Visa thing right back in there. Hey, y'all just take it back. I don't want that delivered to my box anymore. No, you're a debtor to them. And they're going to keep calling. And they're going to keep calling. And then they're going to start calling. And they might even send someone to your house. Why? You're a debtor to them. You owe them. You've got to fulfill your obligation to them. The Bible says that's what we had when we were in our sin. We were a debtor to it. We had willingly sinned, transgressed the word of God, and now we're debtors to sin. But aren't you glad on the cross of Calvary, my sin debt was paid. Watch this. It was paid. By the way, it was paid in full. He didn't just make an installment on, hey, I'm going to get you by three months, but then it's up to you. Oh, no. He paid the sin debt for man past, present, and future. Jesus paid it all. Watch this. So when sin comes knocking and sin tries to get me to go back to where God saved me from, I can put it right back in the mailbox and flip up the flag. I'm not a debtor to you anymore. My debt has been paid in full. What does that mean? That means because of the empty tomb, there's life available for you and for me that gives us freedom. I can say no to sin. The devil can't make you do anything. Now, if you do it, can I tell you why you did it? This might sting a little bit, but I'm fixing to close, okay? It's because you wanted to. Because sin no longer has dominion over you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What does it say? Look down the verse, if you will. The Bible says, verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. I believe this morning, and I'll close with this far too many Christians are living a subpar Christian life that says the tomb is still occupied. Can I tell you, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave and if Jesus couldn't beat sin, then you might as well not even try. Because if Jesus couldn't do it, I promise you, you and I and an imperfect body can't do it either. But he did. And he rose from the grave. He paid the debt. I don't owe sin or my flesh anything. It can't make me do anything. Why? Empty tomb. That's what we ought to tell the devil every time we're tempted. Empty tomb. People might think you're weird walking around Walmart, you know, walking around Walmart, and you're tempted to look at something or tempted to say something you shouldn't do or shouldn't look at or shouldn't say, and you just kind of say out loud, empty tomb. They're probably going to think you're strange, but oh, can I tell you, it'll keep you from a multitude of sins. Realizing the tomb was empty, I have life from the Father also. That life is forever, and that life gives me freedom. What do you need to realize this morning about the mp What do I need to realize? Oh, it's life-changing. There was a man who took the time to understand the reality of the resurrection. Changed his life. He says, oh, it's real. It's real. There's life from the Father. There's life forever. And there's life that gives freedom. Let me ask you this this morning. Do you understand the reality of the empty tomb and what it means to you. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you received life from the Father? I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. Yeah, you know what? I cleaned up my life and I quit doing this, quit doing that. No, no, no. no. Look, you can't clean up your life until after you come to know Christ. You see, you got to get, get this thing in the right order. You get saved and then he helps you get everything cleaned up because you can't do it on your own. Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Put it this way. If you died right now, are you certain that you're going to heaven? Do you know that? Look, the empty tomb says you can know that. If he was still there like Buddha and Mohammed and all the other gods that have, have attempted for people to fall down and worship them and trust them, if he was like them, absolutely, you'd have a reason to doubt. But the Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. Why? The tomb was empty. That's real. Number one, are you saved today? What a great day it would be to get saved. Say, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I want to get saved. Just a moment, there'll be some folks standing down front. They'd love to take the word of God and help walk you through God's simple plan of salvation. But maybe this morning you're saved. Maybe you trusted Christ a long time ago. Do you understand the reality of the empty tomb? You are going to live forever. Maybe you have problems waiting for you tomorrow at work. Maybe you have problems in your family right now, and you're thinking, gosh, I just don't know if I can keep going. I don't, know if, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Watch this. Watch this. The Bible says there's sufferings for a present time, but they're nothing to be compared to what we're going to, to be revealed in us over there. Stick with it. The tomb is empty. Stick with it. You can make it. The tomb is empty. There's victory for you. And maybe this morning you don't realize the freedom you have. Sin temptation, trial. They just jerk you here and there. There's freedom. The Bible says you're no longer a debtor to sin. Why don't you take a few moments today. Thank God for the empty tomb that gives us life, life forever, and a life of freedom. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Our pianist is going to come this morning. We're going to have a time of invitation. I want to encourage you. Listen to me this